The opening question this morning is this. By the way, before I even say that, it, as you know, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be going into prophecy. We have, uh, in a few weeks from now, we have uh, Jimmy DeYoung coming, and he's going to be teaching on the book of Daniel some, the book of Ezekiel some, and then a little bit out of Revelation. Now, in, in the four days he's here, he's not going to be able to go extensive, so we're going to go then back and, and look at some other parts of those those prophecies, those books of prophecy. Um, but what I thought I would do today is kind of actually open up, and, and I want to start studying a little bit, not so much about the prophecy, but about the life of Daniel. And we're going to look at it this week and next. And you may be saying, but I thought you were going to do Romans 12. But that's what, We haven't finished Romans 12. Well, we're going to kind of interwind, inter, interwind that with uh, Romans 12. So just kind of between now and the time Jimmy comes... Uh, you show up each Sunday, and, and, and who knows what you're going to hear. Either be Daniel or Romans chapter 12. You know, the question for us today, though, especially as we are celebrating and honoring our graduates is, and this is for all of you, not just the graduates, but did anyone try to make a Babylonian out of you this week? Did anybody try to make a Babylonian out of you this week? And you might say, what do you mean by that? Well, again, we live in this world. This world is, uh, we're not of this world. Our home is not here. Our citizenship is not here. But the world is, is under the power of Satan. He's the prince and power of, this, of the air. Uh, he's the one that is controlling all the different aspects of this world. Although God himself is all-powerful, he's allowed Satan to have a certain amount of rule. But when I ask you the question, has anyone tried to make you a Babylonian this last week? I'm saying, has the world tried to conform you to its values? You know, it wants you to hope in the things that it hopes in. To value the things that it values. To need the things that it needs. To care about the things that it cares about. See, the world wants us to think and act like it does. To speak like it does. They, they want you to be like that. In fact, when you don't become like them, they start getting very frustrated and even angry at you. Again, this morning we're going to be looking at a life of a man who was a godly Jew, who was taken out of his home and sent to a foreign country about 700 miles away. Now think about that. Seven, Picked up through war, taken 700 miles away, brought to Babylon, and basically put through a brainwashing process. That was really what all of chapter 1 is. These young men, Daniel and his three friends, are brought, and now they're going to try to totally brainwash them. Try to eliminate what they've learned back in Israel and reprogram them to think the way that they want them to think, the way of the world. Again, Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Why does Romans 12 say that? Because Paul knows the world is trying to transform, I mean, trying to conform you to, again, their values, what they want, what they desire. In other words, their gods, their idols. And yet, as J.B. Phillips said, in translating Romans 12, he says, this is how he translated that part of that verse. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Have you allowed the world today or this week or this last month to squeeze you into its mold rather than being transformed 
by the Word of God. Again, believers in Jesus Christ are constantly faced with this pressure. And graduates, as you go off to college, you're going to be faced with this pressure. Oh, you don't know, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm going to a Christian college. Yeah, a Christian college full of sinners. I mean that seriously. I've done studies. Some of the highest divorce rates are coming from Christian colleges. Kids get connected, they think everything's fine, and they get off, and three years later they realize she's a sinner. She's not doing everything out, okay? you you, you got to be careful. Again, I, I'm encouraging you to go to Christian colleges. Just understand they're full of sinners. They are full of sinners. Or you're saying Alfred State, but you're living at home. My son's going to Alfred State, living at home. Surely, no, you're going to be influenced. You have to be willing to stand for truth. doesn't matter where you are. Sinners are all around us. Even believers, right, are sinners. So there's constant pressure. Am I going to choose to be what God wants me to be, again, or what the world wants me to be? Who am I going to seek to please? Whose banner am I going to follow? That's, that's the question you have to ask. And I'm not just talking to the, the kids here. I'm talking to each one of us. Whose banner are you following? Did you have any choices like that this week to make? Again, maybe it was in the area of ethics. I know some of you are finishing out your exams. The world says if you cheat a little bit, it's no big deal. But again, that's a, an affront to a, a holy God who is always truth, always truthful. See, someone in Babylon may be trying to encourage you. I, I, I sense this uh, periodically with those who do term papers to clip and copy too much and almost plagiarize or use other people's material that may be not as published, but still it's cheating. Have you, have you um, failed to keep the high standard in ethics? Or maybe it's entertainment. Again, surfing, TV, surfing cable, surfing the Internet. It's very difficult, very, very difficult. And many times you're tempted. The question is, have you capitulated? Maybe, it's, maybe you're at work. I mean, I'm talking to adults now, and... And the conversation heads in the wrong direction. Maybe it's something like this, you know, start talking about someone at work, maybe your boss. And you just start, you know how it goes, who likes administration anyway? So you just start adding on and, and before long you're slandering and maligning someone. In other words, there's a lot of ways to get squeezed into the world's mold. <coughs> maybe you hold on to bitterness and anger and you justify it, and you say it's okay, because look at how that other person hurt me. But that's being squeezed into his mold. We're supposed to remember, bless those who curse us and persecute us. So again, there's a lot of ways to be squeezed into this mold. Again, this doesn't doesn't have to happen. It's possible to live faithfully uh, before the Lord. Again, we're not holding out an impossibility, and I believe you'll see in Daniel's life the fact that he did. He held faithful. Again, as we go to this passage, I hope you're in Daniel chapter 1 already. But as you go to this passage, verses 1 and 2, it talks about the fact that, again, verse 1, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, it was during his reign that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. The the part that I want you to underline, though, if you have a highlight or anything like that, is verse 2. The first part, at least in my version, says this, And the Lord gave. If you haven't underlined that, or whatever that part is, in other words, God's sovereignty, understand this. 
the book of Daniel, the main point of the book of Daniel is this. God is sovereign. It really isn't about Daniel. It's about, the, about Daniel's God. And so as Nebuchadnezzar, that very powerful king, the king of the Lord of Lords, <coughs> in the sense of the world's perspective, comes to Jerusalem, the question might be, well, how did he get there? Is it because of his might and power? Well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar would have said. But the Bible is very clear, and the Lord gave. <laughs> the reason Nebuchadnezzar was king, the reason he was king of Babylon, the reason king of Babylon was able to conquer Jerusalem was because Jehovah gave <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar the ability to do that. So again, this is, this is a passage, and as I set the stage, basically it's this, that there's a, a nation called Israel, who God, through his prophets, said, listen, if you follow me, I'll bless you, and if you don't, you're going to have a lot of hard problems, right? In fact, if you don't follow me, ultimately you're going to be taken even from this land. If you don't obey, I'm going to chasten you. And Daniel's about the, the event of actually God. Finally, the gauntlet comes down, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and the first group of people go off into captivity. Now I say the first group because actually there are three different phases of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon coming into Jerusalem. The first happened in 605 B.C., which is right here. Then about, let's see here, it's about seven, eight years later, 597 B.C., another wave, Babylon comes in again to Jerusalem and takes more captives. That's when Ezekiel left. <coughs> and then finally, about 11 years later, 586 B.C., a third wave, I say wave, a third uh, um, Onslaught, besieging of Jerusalem. Finally, at that point, the third time, 586, Jerusalem is destroyed, and whoever had not gotten out were either killed or taken off into captivity. Okay? But this is the first, 605. Why? Because Israel had sinned. They were told that if you sin, you're going to be chastened. By the way, that is always the case, isn't it? Whether it's a nation or a person. If you walk with me, I'll bless you, God says. If you seek to go against me, you will be chastened. If you're my son or daughter, you will be chastened. In other words, a loving father trying to bring his child back. If you're not a believer, then you'll be judged. Very important distinction of words. I liked what one commentator says. He said, The principal theological emphasis in Daniel is the absolute sovereignty of Yahweh, of Jehovah, the God of Israel. At a time when it seemed to all the world that his cause was lost and that the gods of the heathen had triumphed, causing his temple to be burned to the ground, that's what happened at the last siege, it pleased the Lord strikingly and unmistakably to display his all omnipotence, his all power. The theme running through the whole book is that the fortune of kings and the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees and that he is able to accomplish his will despite the most determined opposition of the mightiest potentates on earth. I say that, why? Because you know what? We're living in Daniel's time as well, aren't we? You have all these nations who think they have the solution. And just understand that we are moving along on God's time frame, right? Now, we should take great hope in that. <laughs> I think we are, again, living in very, very wicked times, evil times. There are men who, again, think that they are all-powerful, just like Nebuchadnezzar, and yet, God is in control, right? God is in control. And, and think about Daniel. Here he's been ripped up, literally taken from his home, 
and you'd have to go to the Fertile Crescent and down into Babylon. The, the trip would have been 700 plus miles. Back then, what do you go? 20, 30 miles a day, so however many days. I mean, it's many, many. And again, they didn't have texting. <laughs> They didn't have, you know, I mean, think about it. They didn't have phones. They didn't have, they didn't have carriers as far as, you know, like the post service, all that's so slow anyway. But no, but uh, it wasn't like, you know, he's calling from Babylon, calling mom and dad and saying, hey, I'm okay. We arrived here three months, you know, after three months of traveling. Again, Daniel could have been very, very discouraged. I'm sure he was at moments. He's taken away. But the thing with Daniel is this. And we find the first part in, uh, let's see here, verse 3. It says, uh, The king instructed uh, Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Now this is how they describe these men. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. That's the brainwashing right there. Very, very smart, wise, young men, but now we're going to change them into people that think like people in Babylon. And everything would have been happening that way, except this is the difference. Daniel was a Jew. He was a committed Jew. He was a committed one to Jehovah. Jehovah, the the God of Abraham. So all they had to do was to just conform. (laughs) That was the whole point. Just conform. And and I just keep thinking as I was studying this, that's exactly how they're going to treat you graduates. Just conform. You're going to be in a a psychology class. And they're going to be bringing up people like Freud and say, this is it. This is truth. And you're going to have to put that against Scripture and say, wait a second here. That doesn't... That is not what Scripture says. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's going to be a lot of points where they're going to say, just conform, just take it, just, just, just agree with us. And the question is, are you going to stand for Jehovah or are you going to stand on the side of the world? Again, it didn't work with this man. He didn't compromise his convictions. In fact, look at uh, verse uh, 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them. Three years. So that at the end of that time, they might serve, the, serve before the king. Now from among those sons of Judah were, again, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, Azariah. Given over. We don't have to read all that. But look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart. <coughs> he purposed. It literally means this. He placed and he placed on his heart. In other words, it was, a, it was a direct response to knowing what was coming. He determined this direction. He determined the direction he was going to grow. And again, the, the heart is the control center. So he determined, he resolved, one version says. He, the New American says he made up his mind. And it's in the form of a simple fact. Like, I'm not going in that direction. Now think about this. He's bound, he's brought... Mom and dad are not here. Grandma and grandpa are not here. Aunts and uncles are not here. There's no connection with his, his past, but he determined. And notice it says he determined. It's real clear in this that Daniel is the leader and probably making the, the big decisions and the other ones perhaps are coming alongside saying, you know, because everyone needs a leader. Yeah, okay, yeah, they resolved. One man was faithful, at least four were ended up being. He purposed in his heart. Now what I want to 
leave you with today is some things about this idea of purposing in your heart. How did he overcome the obstacles? How did he remain faithful to his God? It's like you, it's like China, the only thing I can think of is, and again, it's like China dropping a bomb. We're all discombobulated. They come in, they grab some of the choicest, the best that we have, and then they transport you back to China and you'll never see your parents again. How would we survive? How would these young men survive? Well, the first thing is this. This is how he remained faithful. He did not make excuses because of his age. He did not make excuses because of his age. Most commentaries, commentators believe that Daniel and these three boys, literally boys, were between 14 and 17 years old. Now that is huge. Think about taking a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old right now. Put your hands up. No, don't. But think about someone coming in here, and now they start picking out. Amber, you're going. Lauren, you're going. And they start picking. And they take 10 of our kids, and they're gone. And you'll never see them again. How are they going to hold up? Now, again, from a parental perspective, I mean, you can imagine the agony. You wonder where, you know, if Daniel's parents were even living to this point. Again, they were, you know, Jerusalem had been besieged, so, you know, a lot of people die in the war itself. Were they still living? We don't know. But again, they were taken out of their home and cart off to the, a foreign land. If they were living as parents, can you imagine the pain and the concern? I've always felt like that would be one of the... Oh, it would be, it would be harder for me to have someone, one of my kids kidnapped and not know where they're at and what they're doing versus even death. At least death, there's finality. And I pray the Lord that neither one would ever happen. But you know what I'm saying? How hard that would be. A lot of pain, perhaps, in their lives. Again, we don't know. One of the things when I'm at, I remember, especially when my kids were uh, younger, periodically, and I've told you this many times, because it, it's like <coughs> I'd go into their room and just watch them sleep, just for a second. It was just like so reassuring. They're all there, you know. They're all safe and sound, and everything will be good tonight. As long as we don't have a fire or something, you know, everything will be fine tonight. But again, if, if the parents were still living, they didn't have that uh, consolation. But uh, again, well, how about you? When you were 14 to 17, would you have been able to endure that? Well, that's a really scary thing. But the key is this, that Daniel didn't let his age stop him from doing what was right. He was young. Again, maybe he was just 15 years old. Maybe he was 16. He was young, but he knew he had to do the right thing. I think we can... Uh, we can learn some things from this. By the way, one of the things we can learn is that, that we really sh- should look at younger people as having the potential to live for God, right? This idea that, well, you have to get to be 25 or 30 before you're really living for, for the Lord is really a lie from Satan. I have a, an article from uh, Rick Holland, and, and the article was The Myth of Adolescence. And he was really in this article talking about youth ministry, but this is some of the things that he talked about. And and he was just trying to get at this fact that, you know what, we need to trust the youth. We need to see them differently than the the culture sees them. He he writes this. It's significant to note is that the state called adolescence is a 20th century Western invention. Ours is the only culture in history to see three stages of development. 
to maturity, namely childhood, adolescence, and then adulthood. All other cultures outside Western culture and its influences, as well as history in general before the 20th century, see only two stages in the development of maturity, childhood and adulthood. By the way, that has caused a lot of problems, huge problems in how we raise our kids. He goes on and says this, Consider the history of Judaism. Since the days of the Pentateuch, the Jews have celebrated the passing of a boy from childhood to adulthood in the Bar Mitzvah. Jews have held for centuries that around the age of 13, a person should be fully accepted as an adult in religious community. In fact, you even see that with Jesus. He's around 12 years old and teaching. Okay? Why? Because their idea is this. He was coming to adulthood. He writes about, again, youth ministries, and he says, though these are young adults, and he's talking about the age of teens, they are nonetheless adults, physically, emotionally, and volitionally. They have the, the capacity commensurate to adulthood. Yet of all places, the church retards the young person's spiritual development by not allowing or expecting him to be spiritually responsible or challenging him to, it, to the extent of biblical expectations or examples. And I'm not saying our church. I'm just saying church in general. We want to add this adolescent stage. He finishes out by saying this. By creating this mythical state known as adolescence, the teenager's, teenager is in constant flux between childhood and adulthood, since he is not fully accepted as either. This is a significant part of the teen problems in our society. It contributes greatly to the teen syndrome of seeking identity in peer groups, gangs, drugs, alcohol, premarital sex. It also generates anger at parents at, uh, at parents and a general anti-establishment attitude. The problem is, is that in some contexts, the young person is patronized as a child, yet in others he is expected to act responsible as an adult. And we wonder why kids are so confused. Now I say all that because it's, I find that as, a, as I've been you know, serving and ministering over the years, that this idea of adolescence is growing uh, longer. In other words, I, I used to kind of think of it as 13 to 16, whatever. But now it's almost like, well, you know, it's going to take you many, many years, even after college, to really get connected. Again, it wasn't like that with Daniel. Daniel didn't make an excuse because of his age. He sought to live for, for God where he was at. And I think we need to say this, that someone poured information into this young man's heart, right? Someone trained him. Now, by the way, I think it was his parents. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they were already dead. Maybe it was his grandparents. Maybe it was his aunt and her uncle. But someone trained this young man. And they didn't train him like this, saying, well, listen, uh, come on, Danny. Come over here because uh, you're only eight years old, and, and just in another seven years, you're going to be taken off to Babylon. They just did it as being a, a part of the consistent training in his life. So that when the crises happened and he was sent off, he was able to stand for the Lord. It reminds us a lot of Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, I believe that uh, perhaps his parents... Again, we need to take from here the importance and the value of training godly boys and girls. 
So I want to thank you. Okay, I want to turn this from Daniel's, whoever that was, maybe his parents, to you. I want to thank you for the training as a parent that you have done for your children. Especially these that we just saw here, these 11 graduates. If you have put the time in of training them, thank you. I also want to thank some other people here. How many of you work with kids? Maybe Olympian, Word of Life, Epic, Sunday School teacher. I want to thank you. I really do. I want to thank you because you have put in the time over the years. In fact, I know many of you would see this line and you say, I remember when she was a sparky. I remember, yeah, I remember when he was like in seventh grade and he drove me crazy and Word of Life. You know what? I just want to thank the, the people who minister here. I thank the church, too. I even thank you, the church as a whole, just for the fact that you uh, consider youth ministry a very, very important part of our church. You know, some churches just say, you know, they're just going to be like kids. No, I, we consider ministry here to the youth, um, to these young adults, is very, very critical. Someone poured information and devotion into Daniel's heart. And again, we just need to see that. Not only that, but second lesson we can learn here is this, that God can help young people do important things for him now. Now, not later. So kids, I want you to remember this. You can serve God now. In fact, I would hope this, that you are serving God right now. Don't get this mentality when, if, you know, when things change, when I get out of college, when I get my final job, you know, when I uh, get married and have kids and then they're grown up, then I'll start serving the Lord. You know, you can start serving the Lord right now. Again, Daniel, if, let's say he was 15. Let's say he got saved when he was 5, 6. Well, he, was, he was still very, very young, not only in age, but spiritual maturity, and yet showed great depth. But you can serve the Lord right now. Now, in fact, for Daniel, he may have just been, just barely had peach fuzz on his, no whiskers. I mean, again, think of him as very, very young. But serve him now. And I would say that to you also as adults. Once in a while I hear this, well, I'm just too busy. I'm raising my kids. And the idea is this, well, maybe after my kids are raised, then I can start getting involved in ministry. You know what? That's too late. I'll just tell you right now. If you want to have an impact on your kids to show them ministry, do it while you're in ministry. Do it while you're raising your kids. One of the, the most valuable things that Sol and I have realized over the years is we have dragged our kids to ministry. What do you mean? Well, she has to be here at 8.30 Sunday morning. Well, I have to be here on 8.30 Sunday morning. Well, she has to and I have to be here on 8.30. Well, we've had to take our kids. And they've seen ministry. I mean, now the only people that can sleep in is are my, my college-age kids because they can sleep in and then drive later on. But the point is, is they've seen ministry. Home group, same thing. I mean, any ministry we've been involved in, they've always had to go along with us. Involve your kids in the process because you know what you're doing? You're really passing the baton at that point. Don't make it necessarily easy. And God doesn't make it easy. So Daniel learned that it was now that he had to serve. I'm encouraging you as, as uh, graduates, now is the time to serve. God's going to use you now, but also for each one of us. How about the second thing? He did not become, uh, become bitter because of his circumstance. Again, as I've ex- explained, he was taken from his land of Israel, brought all the way to Babylon. 
His circumstances changed tremendously for the negative. At that point, he could have got very bitter and angry. And to a Jew, the land was everything. Remember Abraham? He was given a promise back in 2100 B.C. And he was given the promise, and part of the three part of that promise was the land. So the, so the land was special. I mean, I know as Americans, you know, we consider America special. And, you know, and, and even the land in, in some respect. But we move. And as long as you move within the country, you know, I mean, it's no big deal. But to a Jew, being taken from Israel, placed in a foreign land, was huge. And it all happened in a very, very quick moment, as it were. One day he's here, next day he's there. But he didn't live by this model. I'll serve the Lord as long as everything is going my way. I believe with Daniel, he made up his mind to serve the Lord wherever the Lord, the sovereign, was willing to place him. And so for us, I think we can learn. You know, how, maybe how has your circumstances changed? Maybe even in the change, you've gotten a little frustrated, a little bit irritated. Maybe the change is a job. Maybe it's a change is the boss. Maybe it's a health issue. But, you know, the Lord allows us to go through changes, changes in circumstances. But the question for us is this, is, is, is that going to jilt me from walking with him? Or am I gonna, is my model going to be, I'll grow where I'm planted, I'll serve where I'm placed? It's going to get tougher. I think it's going to get tougher in America. You know, I think it's going to be where, where now it's free, there might be a day where they might say it's free, but it's going to have, you're going to have stipulations on how to worship or stipulations on how to meet. But the question is, are we going to continue forward? Uh, your circumstances are changing. You're going to colleges, and many times in the college, you're going to, you're going to hear uh, uh, different teaching that is wrong. Uh, that's a change in circumstance. Whereas it might be very easy. Some of you are from homeschool. Yeah, they, man, mom agreed with me on everything I wanted. We agreed together. But now all of a sudden, are you going to be able to stand for the Lord? So again, as you see a change in your location or a change in your circumstances, uh, the question is, will your attitude change? Will your actions change? Because if it does, it really tells you about who you are as, as far as your character. If you're not able to stand for truth when those changes happen, it really tells you something about yourself. But that's the same about us as adults. If you're able to say, praise the Lord here on Sunday morning, but then you go into work, and now nobody knows that I'm a Christian, because it's just so much easier just to keep it that way. Well, then really, you've been, you're conforming to the system, because that's what the system says. See, the culture says this, keep your religion in the four walls of the church. It's not relevant out here. It's not relevant in the workplace. It's not relevant in the family life. It's not relevant as it pertains to your friends and family and all this other stuff. Keep your Christianity in the church. Don't bring it outside. But again, that's conforming to Babylonian type thinking. Well, as far as you graduate, you're going to be going off in a new situation, a new setting, no parental involvement probably, very little. Mom's not going to be looking over your shoulders. You're going to have pressure, pressure to compromise. 
And I think of all the pressures that are out there. The pressure to drink, the pressure to have sex, the pressure to speak in inappropriate ways. Maybe things that you haven't even seen or heard up to this point. And again, are you going to stand for truth? And I say that even if you're going to Word of Life or a Christian college. I know when I went to Liberty, if you wanted to find the other side, you could always find it within Liberty, right? Yeah, because we're all sinners. And again, I, I like those colleges. I graduated from Liberty. I was very, very glad I went there. Very, very glad. Very good college. But you still have to stand for truth. In some situations, it's more difficult. But you still have to stand for truth. But when, when mom and dad are not looking over your shoulder, are you going to live for him? Are you going to live for him? How about the third one? He did not give into small compromises. So he didn't, didn't make excuses for his age. He didn't uh, get bitter because of his circumstance. And he didn't give in to small compromises. Song of Solomon says this, Little foxes spoil the vine. The idea of, is little things can, can hurt the, uh, the path that you're, you're moving towards. It's the little things. Verse 5 says this, And the king appointed for them a daily provision for the king's, from the king's delicacies and from his wine. And you might say, so what? What's the big deal about food? <laughs> What's the big deal about drink? I mean, the king, the Nebuchadnezzar was, was saying, listen, I want you to take these choice men and I want you to feed them and drink them, give them the drink that is at my table. That's basically, I mean, it was, it was uh, delicious. It was, it was fabulous. I mean, what's the problem with the best? Because that's really what this was. The king was just saying, I want you to feed them the very best because these are going to be the leaders, the under leaders of my kingdom. And yet Daniel said, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And you'd say, well, why? What's the big deal? Well, I think there's two things. One is, it would have been a direct violation of Old Testament dietary laws. There was going to be food on the table that was against the Levitical law. And you can find that in Leviticus chapter 11 or Deuteronomy 14. So there were certain foods the Jew could not eat. And yet Nebuchadnezzar was going to give them all. And he said, no, we can't do that. That would violate our conscience. It would violate God's law. I think the second reason he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself was because before the food was given to them, it would have been offered to one of their gods. So basically they have this, I mean, think about uh, filet mignon, you know, except before it got to them, let's example, it was offered to Baal. Oh, how great Baal is and you make and you give and you, you prosper and, and, and it's all, it's all glory goes to Baal. Okay, Dan, uh, Daniel, here's the food. And he knew it was going to be offered pre- previously to their gods. Very pagan society. So because of that, he says, no. No, I can't eat. I can't eat those foods. It's against God's law, and you're giving glory to your gods. So he asks, he says, just test us. Just test us with, uh, with just vegetables. Just for a short time. See if, see if God will not bless us because we're obedient. And it did. By the way, that is a blessing. He's not pushing being a vegetarian. He's saying, listen, the whole point of the text is God is sovereign. God is the one that is going to prosper Daniel and his friends. These four young Jewish men 
had to take a clear stand on obedience and faith. That's what this was all about. It wasn't about food. It was about, it was about uh, being obedient. They were doubtless subjected to in intense social pressure from their classmates and teachers. I'm sure they were. In fact, it even says, you know what? If, if it's done wrong, I'm going to lose my head type of thing. I can just see somebody in the crowd, one of the Babylonians, say this. It is folly to let a ceremonial quibble destroy your chances of attaining a high position in the government. <laughs> Can't you hear someone saying that? I mean, come on, it's just food. Just take it. You know it's not the real God. Just take it. Don't make a big deal out of it. That's just a little thing. To reject the royal diet was an offense to their classmates and a rejection of the king's way, and it could have been lethal. Not only could they have been kicked out as far as being in the king's court, as it were, I mean, he could have actually been killed. We know from, you know, obviously from other chapters. In chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar was given the dream, he asked his uh, soothsayer and everyone, give us the dream. Give me the dream and give me the interpretation. But if you don't do that, I'm going to kill you and destroy you. I mean, he was a wicked, evil man. And Daniel knew that if he stood for truth, there could have been a lot of negative consequences. But what do we want to learn from this? Do the small steps well. That's what I'm trying to say. Do the small steps well. Because when it comes to this world, when it comes to Babylon, when it comes to the culture and the other side, it's the small things that they want you to, to do wrong. Just take the small step away from God. They're not going to necessarily ask you to take the big plunge into sin. It's the small little steps. They ask you to take one small step at a time. Just one little compromise. Just one little backing down. Just a little giving in. Again, we're not talking about opinions here. We're not talking about preferences. We're talking about values. Actually, convictions from the Word of God. The reason he stood on truth wasn't because it was his preference. It was because he understood Scripture, because someone had taught him, and he knew that from Leviticus... It was wrong to eat certain types of food and to have food offered to certain idols, to idols. So he was standing on, again, not preference. Um, when it comes to the church, you know, we can, I mean, there's a lot of preferences out there, right? There is so many preferences. There's preference, I mean, one of the big ones is the music. Over the years, we've had up and down on music, and you know, is it hymns? Is it praise songs? Is it you know, what type of music should we have? A should we have a guitar? Should we have a? We're not talking about preferences here. We are talking about the convictions based on the Word of God. That's what Daniel's purpose in his heart not to defile. So again, when it comes to you, as graduates, when it comes to you as adults, don't falter on the small things, on the small convictions, as it were. Let me give you some some illustrations of that. Proverbs 6, now catch this. Proverbs 6, it says, A little sleep, just a little. A little slumber, just a little. A little a folding of the hands to sleep. Next verse, so shall your poverty come. Just a little, just a little. How about Peter? I will not deny you. Little question, denial three times. Just a little. He just moved away slowly. I was looking up Daniel or David yesterday. It says this, these are the verbs that were used of David with Bathsheba. He saw, that's a little, that's just a little thing, just saw. But then he beheld, a little bit longer, just a little though. He inquired, that's just another little step, okay? 
He sent messengers. She came. By the way, these are all pretty little steps. Now it's becoming bigger steps. And he lay with her. Or to say it this way, no man falls suddenly. No man falls suddenly. No woman falls suddenly. When you find someone falling, <coughs> excuse me, it's because there was a whole lot of steps before that. And we have to be on guard for the little. I know in my life, sometimes, and I falter. I do not want to present myself like, oh, and you, and you got this. No, there are times when I'm taking little steps away from God and I even know I'm doing it. But graduates and adults and everyone out here, make sure you understand. You have to take, we have to be faithful in the small steps. And Daniel was. Daniel was. Have you faced any situations this last week where you were tempted to compromise your relationship with Christ? How'd you do? And the small thing, it might have been, it might have been as simple as uh, just laughing at a crude joke. It might be just a little lie, just a little bit off-color joke that you tell, just a little embrace, a little glance, a little touch, a little drink, a little whatever. But you're opening the door. You're opening the door. I'll tell you one of the things that he did right from the start that's obvious is he took the stand. He did it right from the beginning. Because it's very hard if he fell first and then he tried to get back up. He just determined in his life, no, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to stand on the truth right from the very beginning. They're going to know that I stand for Jehovah. Now, you might say, boy, that is very, very difficult. That is so hard. And I would say, yeah, it is. I really believe in your life, you, you need to have both a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That's where it all starts. Again, Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Has there been a point in your life where you have had to admit your sin, your inability to please God in and of yourself? Have you humbled yourself before God, seeing your pitiful condition? I'd like to say, like, Lord, I can't do it. I'm damned before you and there's nothing I can do to fix this situation. And you've humbled yourself before him. You've looked to the cross and you've received the free gift that Jesus Christ provides because he died on the cross. He substituted himself for your sin. Have you ever come to the point of placing your faith and your hope? And I'm going to say this very carefully. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you truly been saved? Because, boy, wouldn't it be sad if there was a... Especially you graduates who are... And many of you are going to be gone and now we're only going to see you just periodically... But wouldn't it be sad if you had maybe even gone through like the the youth programs and maybe even, you know, your home devotions and just all the time heard about Jesus Christ, but never received him as your personal savior? Wouldn't that be sad? You find people who go off to Bible college even and then finally get saved. So my question for you today is this. Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? And if you do... Are you walking with him? Like Galatians says, keep in step with the Spirit. Are you allowing him to empower you so that his convictions become your convictions? And he's giving you the power to stand for him. Because again, without the personal relationship and without keeping in step with the Spirit, we all fail. 
We cannot live faithfully for God in and of our own strength. And you see with Daniel, he purposed, but he purposed because he knew that Jehovah would strengthen him. So again, he didn't, he didn't allow circumstances and, and all those different things to uh, jilt him. He did the small steps well. If you find that you're doing the small steps wrong, confess quickly, repent, turn, seek to walk for him. Take a stand. I, I tell you, one of the best things for you to do is this. Take a stand early that I'm a Christian, that I'm going to walk with Jesus Christ. Because now everybody, the, the guns may be pointed towards you, but at least you, you, you've divided the camp. I stand here, this is where you stand. In other words, you've, you've distinguished yourself. And then finally, fourthly, it's, he did not become detached from his God. Verse 7, verse 6 says, Now from among those, and he gives us those names. And you have to ask, why did, why did Nebuchadnezzar want to change the names? Because they wanted to detach those young men from who they were back in Israel. Example, Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Mishael, who is like God? Next one, Jehovah is my helper. Okay, So back in Israel, they were given names, continually pointing back to Jehovah. Let's see what they were given names to. He was renamed. Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar, Bel. And one of their idols protects the king. So the idea is, listen, forget Jehovah. Baal is your king. What's the next one? The commander of Akua, another of their gods. Who is, who is what Akua is? In other words, Akua is so great. Not Jehovah, forget Jehovah. Finally, servant of Nego, the god of vegetation, because everything depended on food. What were they trying to do? They were trying to replace who they served, who they worshipped, who their God was. But again, Daniel kept faithful, and those three kept faithful. No, Jehovah is my God. You can put me in a whole different hostile environment to Jehovah, and I'll still be Jehovah's servant. One man wrote this. See, they wanted them to worship their idols, their gods, to fit into their culture, to not stand out, to think like they thought, to act like they acted. But they never broke allegiance with Jehovah. The change accomplished nothing. Nebuchadnezzar changed their names, but he could not change their hearts. They remained faithful to the God of Israel. Why? Because it was in the small things. Daniel determined, he purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that it wasn't about age, it wasn't about circumstance, It was about walking with God moment by moment, day by day. And again, standing for truth. And Lord, you are God and no other. And no matter how much they throw at me, and again, I just keep going back to the college scene, no matter how much they want to squeeze me into their mold, I'm going to stand for you because you are the true God. And what they stand for is falsehood. Now again, we'll, we'll see next week, he didn't do that in an abrasive way. In fact, he actually asked questions. So he was, a, he, he was submissive even to those ungodly authorities, but he stood for truth in the midst, okay? So it wasn't like he was brash and abrasive, and you're not going to make me eat that food. He was actually polite. He was humble, but he asked questions to say, you know what? 
Just test my God, because you know what? When it comes to the true God, He will always pass the test. Isn't that true? So if you trust Him, just see how He's going to work in my life. Because then not only will it be proved that I'm correct, but He'll get the glory. We can always trust God. We can always walk with Him. And no one, He'll give us the power to do it. Why? Because He wants to be glorified through you. And He's going to put you in very tough situations where there's all these other idols and thinking. Why? Because He wants you to be a light in that very, very dark place. Will you be that light? Will you make the decision and purpose in your heart to be that light?